your podcast will not be like other podcasts. Precious we. I wonder that you do not fear the judgment of a one-star review. Do you rate me one star, we? No, but I fear for you. <laughs> Leto uses his prescience to find the people that one-star review his podcast. <laughs> and he, you know, he finds a way to eliminate them from the golden path. More fucking Ixians, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe. From Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And today on the show, we are back, everybody, yes. into God, Emperor of Dune. It's been a while. It's been a minute, yeah. Every time we do a mailbag episode and take a bit of a breather, I'm always like, Once, what was this book about? God damn it. I got to read all 300 pages over again. <laughs> yeah, I, just to be safe, I start back at Dune. I start back at the first right. book. So I right. you know, read the really last have, four. Really have the full yeah. context of it. Well, regardless, we're all caught up. We, re <laughs> we reread the first three books and yeah. uh, we're ready to rock and roll today. But as always, before we get into today's reading... Let's take care of some very quick housekeeping, starting with a spoiler warning for today. And as always, no spoilers on today's episode beyond the pages and books we've covered thus far. So as long as you're caught up on the reading, you're good to go today. Indeed you are. And of course, a huge, huge worm-sized shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons, Case Aiken and Matthew Good. Gentlemen, we would not ask you to marry us no no of course not but think about it <laughs> think about it and when we're back at the citadel all together like we'll talk right. about it we'll reconvene and just consider it you know yeah. <laughs> but seriously thank you gentlemen both of you and of course thank you to all of our patrons who make what we do possible it means the world it means the world all right with that out of the way y'all know the game plan for this book club episode We'll begin with the summary of today's chapters, then we'll dive into a couple of takeaways, and then finally wrap up at the end by chomping down on some delicious spice morsels. Mm. One quick note, actually, that's yeah. slightly different today, is we will be covering two chapters, chapters 25 and chapters 26, instead of the usual three, because now that we are <laughs> nearly halfway through this book, it has dawned on us how dense the material is. Right. And we've decided to take it a little bit slower for the second half of the book and for the rest of the book club series, just so we can give the material and the density of it its fair due. So we can really dive in and talk about it in a way that doesn't leave anything on the cutting room floor, which we were forced to do in previous chapters. So we're going to take it a little bit slower from now on, just two chapters at a time, but we're going to be going even deeper into the chapters. I was going to say, I'm a huge advocate for like getting through this as quickly as possible. But also when you're like literally leaving out observations and when you're saying, oh, I want to talk about this, but I can't because right. the episode's already bordering two hours long. <laughs> yeah. I think this is going to be good. That's right. Okay. With that out of the way, 
Let's take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, folks, because right after this, we're getting into today's reading. Mm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're ready to hit the ground running because we are staring down the barrel of chapter 25. Yes. Our first chapter today begins with Huinari. What a perfect sweet, person. Sweet, 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 sweet. Oh, sweet, sweet. <laughs> and she's on her way to fulfill a summons by God Emperor Leto himself. Right. And along the way, she's kind of reflecting on what receiving that summons was like. Mm-hmm. She had been at the Ixian embassy, hanging out, chilling, doing a crossword or something, when her assistant, Othwi Yake, comes in with a report about the fish speakers slaughtering face dancers all around the festival city. Hello. Now, the moment is interrupted when Antioch, Reverend Mother Antioch, lover, enters the room with a fish speaker. Right. Hui is being summoned, officially. Now, the three leave the room, and Antioch says, yes, and then fucking leaves. <laughs> and it's like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Good chat, yeah. Antioch. Yeah. Great to see you again. But we'll come back to that. Arriving in Leto's chamber, the proper interview between Leto and Huinari begins. Right. Leto's dodging some intimate topics for now okay playing hard to get (laughs) yeah kind of (laughs) again for now (laughs) he drops a bombshell on hui and on us yeah othwi yake is dead uh so you might be wondering holy shit who was that guy in the room with the report turns out face dancer Uh the embassy the ixian embassy has been taken over and infiltrated by face dancers now, this is actually why Antioch was there, right? Benny Gesserit and Leto have the ability to kind of suss out face dancers. She was there to just like, yes or no, is he a face dancer? Right. And she yesed. She swiped right, but in a murderous way. So, <laughs> yes, he'd been replaced. Now, personally, I can't help but wonder, because I remember Antioch and Lucille were talking about like the cost of potentially going against the Tleilaxu and Mm -hmm. trying to warn Leto. And I can't help but wonder if, like, Yake's death was because of them going against the face dancers, or if this was just, like, part of the Tleilaxu plan the whole time. Like, is there a world in which they didn't attempt to warn Leto and Yake would have been left alive because he wouldn't have been outed as, like, a Bene Gesserit sympathizer? Yeah, that's a possibility. Or because Leto explains that the Tleilaxu are planning on killing and replacing Queen Nuri. It's possible they were planning on killing and replacing everyone around her anyway. So this was just an inevitability. Right. I mean, he's her assistant, so maybe he just inevitably would have been caught in the line of fire, no matter what. Totally. Yeah. And we actually find out that 
she would have been next. Like she was very close to dead. But the Tleilaks who are afraid of Leto, they don't know how good he is at sussing out face dancers. So they were like taking their time to gather as much information about her as possible. So the impression would be unbreakable, I guess. Yeah. Or, or un, yeah. you know. And spoiler alert for the Tleilaxu. Yeah. Much like his father, Leto too, <laughs> very good at spotting out face dancers. Yeah. If they had actually <laughs> killed Hui Nori and replaced her. Yeah. I have no doubt that Leto would have simply wiped out the Tleilaxu. Well, maybe. Because he does say, and listen, Hui has the same thought. Hui's like, holy shit, they did what? We should wipe them out. Right. And Leto's like, fuck, what? Wow, that's an intense thought, Hui Nuri. Gentle, yeah. beautiful, wow. Sweet. genocidal <laughs> Hui Nuri. <laughs> I'm adding a new adjective to you, I guess. But he rejects the idea. He says, quote, specialists have their uses as well as their limitations, end quote. And considering how much fucking nonsense they're up to all the time, I suspect personally, kind of quietly, that he leaves them alive because they're a necessary part of the golden path, I think. Yeah, very likely. It's made pretty clear in the books up until this point, books one, two, and three, that everyone fucking hates the Tleilaxu and basically puts <laughs> no up with them. Yeah. And for the last 3,500 years, Leto has been well within his rights as literal god emperor and also yeah. well within his abilities to wipe them out whenever he pleases, and he hasn't. So we have to deduce that it's got to play a role in the golden path. Totally. Agreed. Well, Leto goes on. The conversation continues. He drops another micro bombshell mm -hmm. saying, quote, the only people I have considered eliminating are the Benny Chesser. Hello! <laughs> End quote. <laughs> Which is fucking nuts. Considering how closely what he's doing mirrors what they've done, you'd think, like right. they do, we're so close to being allies. And he's like, not today. I'm not going to mm. wipe them out today, but maybe tomorrow. Maybe. <laughs> it's, just, it's wild. I'll give them one more chance. This whole spice <laughs> essence thing was kind of amusing, but they're telling yeah. the line. Well, that line kicks off a conversation that they have about basically like religious engineering, the Bene Gesserit's age-old strategy, right. with also Leto's inevitable death and the price that he is paying, all of which we're going to handle as takeaways today. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. But to wrap up this chapter, they discuss the weight of the future and why Leto is so candid with her. And he drops perhaps a more personal bombshell. Yeah. Uh -huh. Quote, <laughs> I would not ask you to be the bride of a god. LOL. End quote. Man, my man's out here with that god emperor frizz. It's, <laughs> it's wild. Because <laughs> she's like... What? And he's like, not going to have you answer me now. Think about it. Think about it, girl. You're good. Wow. That's some... I don't know what Riz means, actually. You, you might have to explain that one to me. Short for charisma. It's Charisma. It's okay. Okay. Slang. Yeah. Got it. I would say that's negative Riz. <laughs> to go up no? and be like, hey, Janice, Damn. I'm not yeah. asking you out, but... And then walk away, you know? The ultimate gaslighting. <laughs> if she rejects him, he's like, you sound crazy for rejecting me right now because I didn't even ask you. 
<laughs> right. Right, right, right. It's a tough look. <laughs> and I'm glad I learned what Riz meant. Yeah. That's the biggest takeaway for all of us right now is the word Riz, <laughs> short for charisma. Yeah. It's Gen Z slang. Definitely an awkward way of proposing for sure. Leto perhaps could have been a bit smoother here, but Kui got it. She picked up on it. She understands what he's saying. And also they're on the same wavelength. Time and time again, totally. we're told she gets it. She understands why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Now, she nevertheless is curious upon the idea of marrying this worm uh -huh. not just being the permanent ambassador she's like marry him she starts looking for the junk she mm. starts looking she's mm. like mm -mm. what would marriage be like would we get down and dirty am i gonna <laughs> sleep with this giant worm yeah and leto calls her out he's like uh nah i don't no i don't have that <laughs> i don't have that junk anymore i got a lot of trunk zero junk in it yeah so while sexual intimacy isn't possible because of his changing physiology. He does promise her, which I found kind of sweet, if she wants to have children, like if yeah. children are a requirement for her to be happy, he would arrange to choose a guy for her to basically be like the father of a consort. Yeah. yeah. And all of this is a lot to take in. He's immediately like, don't answer me now. Just think about it. Meet me in the Citadel later. We'll talk about it. I'll tell you more of my secrets and we can talk about it. We can talk about the possibility of marriage. Now, all of her responses are just perfect and perfect and perfect and perfect. So right. he, struck by how perfect she is, <laughs> is like, oh, please leave me now. I need to just wiggle in joy for how perfect you are. Or sadness, sorrow. It's all kind of mixed up. And Wienery departs deeply shaken by the very tumultuous last few minutes of yeah. tell me secrets oh you're telling me why marriage no sex what <laughs> bye okay and she's just we'll, we'll talk later bye <laughs> bye i guess i'll leave I... oh my god yeah so in any case those damn ixians they really nailed it they realized his weakness is love and here it's happening here it's we're happening. It, we're seeing it unfold like a giant worm body. He's smitten, folks. He's smitten. <laughs> He's been smote. <laughs> All right, let's talk about chapter 26. Yes, so let's do it. Our second chapter today, we join Duncan Idaho in a meeting with Leto 2. This book is full <laughs> so of meetings. Fucking meetings. <laughs> this is like the 19th meeting it we've is. had yeah. in 26 chapters. And I read ahead a little bit. The next like 10 are also on meetings. So <laughs> buckle up, folks. Nice. Good. So Duncan Idaho in a meeting with Leto 2 only an hour after the previous meeting, after Hui has departed. And the energy in the room is less horny for sure. Actually, it's quite tense. <laughs> Leto's like, I'm still trying to fuck, <laughs> but begrudgingly. <laughs> and the reason it's tense is because Leto is questioning Duncan. Yep. He's asking him, hey, a little birdie told me that... <laughs> Right after Sea Oak, right after we did that whole thing and bonded, you immediately ran off to the Citadel and went and talked to Moneo. Why right. did you do that? Duncan, for his part, is defensive, but also understandably, he's kind of like, why are you wasting time asking me? You know. You know everything, dude. <laughs> like, famously, you know fucking so right. many things. What is the point in asking me anything? <laughs> like, why are yeah. you reprimanding me? You know. 
Yeah, it's very patronizing. It's, it's like, very patronizing. And Duncan is like offended and annoyed by this. Like when you show up late to work with a cup of coffee and they're like, <laughs> why were you late? And you're like, you really need to fucking ask. I got coffee. All right? We all know. here. We all know. <laughs> yeah, I'm holding the reason. <laughs> <laughs> but through this defensiveness, Duncan does reveal, however, that part of the reason why he went to the Citadel was not only to talk to Moneo, but also to check in on Siona. Hmm. To learn more about this test which he has now just learned about he's like wait a second moneo's telling me she was part of the rebellion against you and now you're going to test her what is going on here he's very much out of the loop and this is sort of a tense confrontation where he's like right you're not telling me everything and why am i learning this only from moneo now or only learning this from siona now you could have right. told me this you're all knowing once again to reiterate <laughs> In case you forgot, Leto's like, I didn't for the record. <laughs> I didn't. I, I remember can't everything. forget anything, actually. <laughs> Famously, my power. <laughs> also, don't forget I'm immune to laser guns, so shoot me right here. Duncan, shoot my hand, <laughs> shoot my foot again. <laughs> so, actually, to be fair, Leto does address the questions in his own way, right? He's not, like, continuing to hide things that Duncan is bringing up in this conversation, but... This doesn't appease Duncan. He's still feeling patronized. He's very hot-headed. At one point in the conversation, he literally yells. Imagine yeah. raising your voice against the God Emperor. Yeah. Duncan gives no fucks. He's... He gives no fucks. <laughs> yeah. And really, to summarize his feelings, this one statement from him, I think, tells us what kind of headspace he's in. Quote, I don't understand your government, your empire, anything. The more I find out, the more I realize that I don't know what's going on. End quote. Oh, I also love, by the way, Leto's, Leto's response re to that. Yeah yeah. 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 Where he's like, oh, oh, he's accidentally found wisdom. Right. Oh, <laughs> you discovered the definition of wisdom. Good job, buddy. You know, he, he like almost continues to patronize and tease him. Yeah. But and again, to, to Duncan's credit, he does cool down a bit. Like there's there are moments when he's like, OK, I see your point. I'll calm down a bit. But right, still. Right. Yeah. Also just. And again, we have to remember, this is a man very much out of his time, 3,500 years out of his time, and he's feeling lost. I don't know what's going on. The more I learn, the more confused I'm getting. And I would imagine being the professional that he is, he doesn't want to be bad at his job. And right, so being right. confused all the time probably like <laughs> <Not good. laughs> fuels this like vicious cycle of like, I'm yeah. fucking confused. I'm not doing my job right. Right. Someone might assassinate Leto. It's my job to protect him. Let me learn more. Oh, no, right. I learned more. Now I'm more confused and the cycle begins again. So I imagine this is deeply frustrating for this Duncan Gola. Totally. And I love that point that you just made because it is professional as well as personal. He doesn't right. want to be patronized, but also he has a job to yes. protect the like surviving Atreides. Yeah. And he can't do that if he doesn't know what's happening. So this feeling of I'm left out of the loop is a professional frustration as well as a personal one. Absolutely. So anyway, the conversation then turns toward the topic of Sea and Oak. Hmm. And Duncan, frustrated by that experience, obviously, he calls it mumbo jumbo. Yeah. To which Leto responds, quote, then why are you disturbed by it? End quote. <laughs> Fucking touche, Leto. Incredible. God damn, what a clapback. Yeah. 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 
I don't care about that at all. I'm not even thinking about it. What are you talking about? And it's like, okay, it sounds like you're really fucking you are crying. in a knot about it. You are crying right now. <laughs> you're vomiting? What's happening? You're yeah. sweating profusely. You... Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we know from the CNO chapters how deeply affected Duncan was yeah. by the mumbo jumbo of it all. <laughs> yeah. So Duncan counters. He's like, okay, but your fish speakers aren't just an army. They're also a brutal police force to which Leto, and now it's Leto's turn to get a little bit offended, actually. He's like, no, no, don't say that. They're yeah, not yeah, a yeah. police force. In fact, they're so much not a police force, Duncan, that I don't even have prisons in my empire anymore. No Wild. formal prisons exist at all across the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of planets in this empire. Fucking wild. Which is absolutely wild. And Duncan's like, well, some of your planets are prisons. And if you talk to Siona, everywhere is a fucking prison, right? Because you've caged all of humanity, which is a very fair point for him to make, actually. Yeah. And Leto sort of kind of brushes that one aside. And he's like, well, you know, anything can be a prison if you think of it that way. So, like, yeah, you're exactly. doing some mental gymnastics here, buddy. Yeah, I think it's that would be an interesting conversation to really dive into. And we don't have time today. But, like the idea of the difference between the idea of formal prisons yeah especially from the perspective of a writer in the fucking 70s or like late 60s early 70s yeah the idea of the for-profit prison system in the states and how giving someone a planet and saying you're not allowed to leave this planet but on this planet you can do whatever you want you can have a whole life like that is different and siona would be like that's not different but i think most of us as we've gotten older is like oh, no it's a little different. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little little different from the sort of formal prison system that we're used to. Yeah. Yeah, right. Leto is talking about like sort of the institution of prison. Yeah. And right. Duncan is talking about the idea of being a prisoner of prison. Right, right. But let's talk about some of these ideas because Leto drops some pretty hot takes on policing. Yeah. Here's a quote, for example. Quote, Police are inevitably corrupted. Police always observe that criminals prosper. It takes a pretty dull policeman to miss the fact that the position of authority is the most prosperous criminal position available. End quote. Wow. Fucking wild. <laughs> that is bold. That is about as direct as Leto slash Frank yeah. <laughs> gets in this book, you know? Yeah. And this is a quote that really resurfaced during the pandemic, oh, during yeah. the uh, Black Lives Matter movements, and yeah. and certainly after the murder of George Floyd, I saw yeah. this quote pop up yes. all over social media. Dude, the number of clips we now have of police chiefs defending effectively murderers who for no reason, like, you know, and even right now in France, there's big riots happening because yes. at a routine police stop, they like shot into the window of a car and killed the driver. Yep. It's like, listen, I have friends and family who work from police and beautiful, great, but good heavens, does this ring a little bit true? Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit true. Yeah. And I will say it's a very unfair, it's not very accommodating. This doesn't like begin productive conversations. But for later to say two possibilities, bud, either one, 
they are criminals and they witness that criminals are prosperous. So they assume authority to become better criminals or right. they're stupid <laughs> <laughs> or they're too stupid to figure that out. It's so fucking funny to me. That is brutal. It's wild. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's like, the dumb ones are just cor- like dumb and corrupt. And the smart ones are the biggest criminals of all because they take power and they recognize that's how I'm going to be prosperous. Yeah. It's a very blunt take from Leto here on the concept of policing and prisons and the legal system. He goes on and rants about courts as well. Right. This definitely is another moment in the book where it feels like Frank is speaking through his characters. Totally. Considering he wrote this book in the seventies, right? Like he lived through the civil rights movements of the 60s. He lived and witnessed the Vietnam War protests of the early 70s. Totally. He saw front and center the police brutality and the police corruption taking place during those moments in U.S. history. And I'm sure that affected Frank's views on it as well. Not to mention, like, Duncan doesn't really push back with some, like, hot-headed straw man argument. It's just kind of like, okay, moving on. Yeah. Which really does feel like Frank deciding that these two characters are just like a platform for this little thought that he had. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So continuing with the chapter, there's more back and forth. Duncan continues to be frustrated. And internally, we get some thoughts from Leto as he observes how delicate this conversation actually is. Yeah. He has to walk a tightrope right now with Duncan. Because if he says the wrong thing at the wrong moment or pushes Duncan just too far, he will lose this Duncan Gola. He will lose Duncan Idaho's loyalty once again, which, as we know, inevitably happens with every single Gola. He also points out it's happening faster than ever with this one. It is. Which was an interesting thought. Yeah, for sure. Now, Duncan, for his part, makes it very clear how he feels about Leto's tyrannical religious rule, as he puts it. Quote, I won't worship you, end quote. There it is. There it is. Duncan Idaho bluntly saying, you are an Atreides, I will work for the Atreides part of you, but I will not worship the God part of you. I will not worship your Godhood. I don't recognize it. Which is, once again, a very bold thing to not only say to your manager, (laughs) your employer, the guy cutting your paychecks, but also to the worm god that has ruled the empire for over 3,000 years. Yeah, agreed. Well, also, at one point, Leto is like, you have to be careful saying that around my fish speakers because they'll kill you if they hear you say that. But generally, I also get the impression that Leto's like, real respect's real. Like, yeah, you're speaking from the chest. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he also admits, like, my fish speakers know, I know that, like, you are Duncan Idaho, you get special allowances. You're maybe allowed to say heretical things like that (laughs) and not get your head chopped off like any other citizen in this empire would. Despite the fact that you are, by definition, the most replaceable person (laughs) in history. (laughs) Truly, truly. There are more spares of you than have ever been for anyone. Yeah, yeah. And actually speaking about replaceable, Duncan literally asks in this conversation, why do you keep bringing me back? What the fuck? Right. Yeah. Why am I like the thousandth Gola of me you've brought <laughs> back so far? And yeah. Leto at this point, I almost get the sense that he's on the back foot a bit because he falls back on his 
sort of Atreides trump card, right? He's like, yeah. you've activated my trap card. <laughs> it's Paul Atreides in attack mode. <laughs> it's Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Look at my jawline. <laughs> so he, once again, taps into the voice of Paul and has Paul say these words. Quote, you were my truest friend, Duncan. Uh-huh. Better even than Gurney Halleck. End quote. Absolutely savage. He went on to say, quote, fuck that guy. You are so much cooler and taller and more handsome. I saw you sleep with so many women. He slept with so few. That guy didn't fuck compared to you. Yeah. End quote. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely throwing Gurney Halleck under the bus, which is a tough look. Yeah. But again, it feels like Leto's sort of on the back foot and he's pulling out all of his sort of trump cards out of the deck use paul's voice remind duncan of the atreides loyalty tell him he's cooler than gurney <laughs> all of these things have worked in the past maybe this will calm duncan down here yeah god that's that's so fucking interesting though like the idea because we never get a sense when they're living together duncan and gurney yeah that there's any sense of like competition complex or yeah. anything like that yeah, yeah. Like, like brotherly competition, competition. yeah because first of all, my first thought was, if I was trying to convince you, Abu, that mm -hmm. like your friendship meant a lot to me, I yeah. wouldn't be like, you are so much more important to me than that. Per like that is such a fucking sociopathic right. strategy. Right. I measured our friendship and it's 77 compared to 47 <laughs> over there, you know. But also the fact that this kind of works, or at least that it has worked well enough that this is a back foot strategy for Leto to be like, I know that this always works. Yeah. Yeah. Makes yeah, me yeah. think, holy shit, does Duncan feel inferior compared to Gurney? Right. And that's why this works, where he's like, oh, it is nice of you to say oh, that. Damn. <laughs> you know, actually. Oh, he's blushing. He's like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How much better? How much better than Gurney would you say I am? Like 20%. Like, what are, you, what are we feeling? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had the same exact thought where I was like, yeah. wait, did Kearney and Duncan have like a little bit of a competitive streak going where they were both like vying to be closer to Paul and a better trainer for Paul and a better mentor for like, you know, <laughs> yeah, like the Atreides household <laughs> has like this like subtle infighting going on on who Paul likes better. <laughs> yeah paul's like five gurney's like wow he wrote me another card and duncan's like what's it say what's it, what's say? it say read huh? it out loud read it out loud is it good is it nice <laughs> you're my favorite okay Fucking paul nice. paul do you want to go on an ornithopter ride <laughs> paul i got you a, i baked you a cake <laughs> <laughs> i want that as an hbo miniseries <laughs> is young duncan and young gurney just like pettily fighting over paul's about vying for paul's attention <laughs> hilarious <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah. That one little line <laughs> reveals so much. Okay. Let's continue with the chapter. Yeah. This conversation wraps up as Duncan brings up Hui Nori, who he mm. passed in the hallway outside as they both walked into the chamber. Yeah. And Duncan says that he doubts her allegiance to the God Emperor. Out in the hallway, she casually mentioned, oh, I'm choosing sides and I'm siding with the God Emperor and not the Ixians, my original masters. Duncan doesn't believe her and he doubts her. He doubts Moneo. He doubts Siona. He doubts everyone. Our guy is constantly vigilant. And Leto 
assures him. Okay, okay. You know, I appreciate you being vigilant. That's kind of why you're useful to me. But Hui checks out, you know, yeah. give her security clearance or whatever. Like Hui Nori right, right. can be trusted. She's cool. She's one of the boys. And Duncan's. I watched her shotgun a beer like an hour ago. It's fucking rad. She's one of the boys for real. And Duncan's like hilarious response is like, oh, oh, okay. If she's cool, I guess I should like get her number or something. You know, I should. And immediately Leto's like, you stay nope, the fuck nope, away nope. from Hui Nori. And nope, that is an that. order. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can tell like Duncan was like, wait a second. If she's cool, maybe I have a shot with her. And yeah. Leto obviously has to be like, don't you fucking dare. Uh, so there's, there's like a bit of a hilarious, like love triangle situation happening here. Oh, totally. And just to wrap up, actually, I did want to note one final thing in this chapter, which I just kind of really enjoyed. Sure. Near the end, we get some meta commentary about creativity from Leto. This is what he says. Quote, the thing you must always trust about Siona is her creativity. She can create the new and beautiful. One always trusts the truly creative. End quote. To which Duncan's like, okay, well, aren't the Ixians also creating shit, right? They're making their machine yeah. and stuff. Yeah. To which Leto disagrees. Quote, that is not creative. You always know the creative because it is revealed openly. Concealment betrays the existence of another force entirely. End quote. Fucking hot, hot bars. Love it. Damn. Love it. This is really Frank's like capital W writer, capital A artist side coming out, right? Totally. Like what he's saying here through Leto is that true art is honest, it's vulnerable, and it's not motivated by any outside forces. And that the purest form of creativity is creating art for art's sake. Right. That right. is true creativity. Which, you know, that lesson sort of hit for me when I was reading these chapters because we live in a world where a lot of creative endeavors are just to feed some social media algorithm or just to right. chase some totally. virality. So I don't know. Perhaps this is a lesson that we can all take to heart that true creation, true creativity, true art has no motivator. It is art for the sake of art. Yeah. Or even just if you are making things and you're keeping it a secret, if you're exploring your creativity and you're keeping it a secret, there is another force at play and that force should be named and it should be considered and like yeah. entered into the calculations. Right. Cause Duncan going, well, isn't her creativity like the Ixians? Leto's like, they keep fucking secrets all the time. She's out here getting her 10 friends killed or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But like she wears her heart in her sleeve. And if I met her in the hallway, she'd be like, fuck you, God, I'm going to kill you. It's like, (laughs) okay, cool. JRPG protagonist. Right. But Leto respects that more. Yeah. Oh, totally. And the creativity, as you're saying, is like tainted if there's secrecy or ulterior motives behind it. Totally. Like the art, the result, the creative endeavor is shaded differently. You have to consider the why behind it. Well, (laughs) those were our chapter summaries for today. Right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into our key takeaways, looking at religious engineering and a conversation about the price that Leto pays. 
But don't go anywhere. Right after this, we'll be back with that conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's get into our takeaways from today's reading, starting with the idea of religious engineering. Now, in his interview with Hui Nori, Leto launches into another TED Talk, this one on the topic (laughs) of religious engineering and the state of religion in his empire. And there are a lot of ideas to pick apart here. So let's dive in head first because this is a very deep pool and there's a lot to get through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leto begins by explaining to Hui that the Bene Gesserit have always utilized religion as a tool, which we know. Quote, once they designed specific religions for specific societies. End quote. Right. Consider the missionary protectiva, something we've talked at length about on this podcast. Now, Hui's reaction is interesting. Because pure, honest, beautiful, empathetic, genocidal we (laughs) finds this practice callous and distasteful. She's like, wait a second. Way more callous and distasteful than genocide. I mean, that's reasonable (laughs) and warranted sometimes. (laughs) But religious engineering? Ew. Okay, a step too far. Reel it in, Hitler. I draw the line right after genocide, right? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she said with her luminous hair and her beautiful <laughs> smile. <laughs> as much as I joke, I did want to point out here that like, we talked a couple episodes ago about how like Leto in saying these things and just talking in general, doesn't really have another voice competing with him, right? Like, right. He is a character who is speaking from the perspective of all of history. Yeah. So even by his very concept frank has created a character that it's really hard to separate when frank is thinking out loud and when leto's talking yeah and here we actually have a character queenery who leto has given some significance for us as readers and she is kind of contending with leto's voice a little bit as a representative for frank's opinion about things and I actually see this as a relatively rare instance of how are we supposed to see the Bene Gesserit and how they get things done Yeah, from Frank's perspective. And like we know for a fact from lots of interviews that the overall series is a warning against charismatic leaders. It's like, don't put people on pedestals, don't fall in step, stagnation's death. These are like core themes. But along similar lines, a pure and good and maybe a little genocidal character like Hui <laughs> saying, wow, hey, that Bene Gesserit practice of religious manipulation is callous and distasteful, is gross. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Signals to us like that is how we are supposed to feel about it. We right. know that the Bene Gesserit are doing all that stuff for the sake of humanity to preserve humanity and you know they have like noble goals 
But as they do those things, how do we feel about them? Right. How they achieve those goals is something we should question. Right. Or even saying, okay, if you've done your homework and you know this is the only way to do it, you know, you have to amputate a leg on the battlefield. Yeah. But let's be clear, we're not in favor of this. Right. <laughs> like, if you have to do it, I don't know why that was my example. If we have to do it, <laughs> we have to do it. But hey, it's distasteful. Right. We should aim for a world in which we don't have to do that anymore. Right, right. There still has to be some sort of moral high ground yeah. that you have to plant your flag on, for sure. And I really like that Hui pushes back yeah, on totally. these ideas, because as the rest of this conversation makes clear, Leto is religiously engineering his empire. Totally. He is yeah. doing exactly what the Bene Gesserit have done for generations. And in fact, he kind of gives us a report, right? He gives us this audit of where the current state of religion stands within right. his empire. He tells us that, quote, even after all of the grand attempts at ecumenism, there were countless gods, minor deities, and would-be prophets throughout the empire. Mm. And despite his sort of enforced monotheism, I am the god emperor, worship only me. Right. Shutting down cults and, you know, right. raiding. Yeah, yeah. Despite all of that, all of his efforts, Leto acknowledges that still, to this day, other gods exist. Quote, the original pantheon remains. It has gone underground in various disguises. End quote. Yeah. He recognizes that he has been yeah. unable to eliminate every other sect, religion, offshoot, mysticism, whatever. And there is no such thing as only one monotheistic god ruling an empire. Although I do wonder if it's he was unable to or if he recognizes that humanity needs mm. diversity of theisms for survival in the golden path. Yeah. Like I had that thought because it was like, really, with his prescience, his mentat abilities, and also we saw his fucking collection of three fish speakers from every planet and it's yeah. shoulder shoulder packed in this unbelievably big room. Right. We right. know he has one of the biggest military forces humanity has ever seen. True. Combined with his prescience and his mentat abilities, I think he could eradicate most, if not all, other beliefs and systems, and he could erase the texts from history. And I think he could do all of that. Yeah. Because he hasn't leads me to think, well, maybe he's left these things, although they are now underground, he's left them because when he dies, whatever that post Leto universe looks like, maybe people will need those old myths to find meaning, mm. or at least to have that diversity of beliefs, to have that sort of diversity of impulses. Yeah, that's interesting. That's definitely one camp. Sure. I think I fall in the opposite camp where like, I think he has been <laughs> unable to, and mm, that he actually wouldn't be able to completely eradicate all other beliefs outside of his control, right? Outside of the religion of Muad'Dib, the religion of Leto Atreides. And the reason I think that we'll get into in a little bit here later on, but we talk about this idea of even Leto to Atreides, the god emperor, is powerless in the face of infinity, is powerless in the face True. of chaotic chance and pure chance. Yeah. So yeah. that's interesting. I mean, there's certainly, we don't know, right? There's yeah, one yeah, camp yeah. of yeah. like, he's choosing not to because he needs to maintain the golden path for some reason and allowing some other gods to exist is useful. 
or there's the path of actually I'm not like super all powerful and I can't wipe every <laughs> yeah. other religion out no matter how hard I try. Yeah. It could be too dangerous to use his prescience that much. Like we yep. know he uses it, but like doesn't use it for everything. He has his spies right. would not need spies if he was using it all the time. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You don't think he could bust out like a million urns? <laughs> A million <laughs> Kanima urns, and he's like, look at them all talking. They're all talking. Do you They're see all... my mouth moving? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that will make more sense to you in a minute, your listener. Well, they've done the reading. They fucking know. They've done the reading. You get That's the true. joke. Laugh. You get a laugh. If you're not laughing at home, <laughs> tell your friends about us. That's your payment. That's your punishment. <laughs> okay, so continuing with this idea, let's break it down further. Hui finds herself incredibly bothered by all of this, right? Right. Religious engineering, Leto talking about, I'm a god, but I'm not the only god. She's like, okay, so are you telling me you're not god, or are you telling me that you just became god and that anyone could do it? Like, you, right, this right. isn't abnormal? Like, you're not special? Like it's too casual, she right. said. She's like, the way you're describing godhood is awfully casual. Yeah, you're being awfully flippant about being an all-powerful deity. Yeah. And Leto assures her and the reader that not anyone could do it. Not right. just any old Joe Schmo off the street in Bushwick can become God. He can get close, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I've been nearly convinced by a lot of Joe Schmoes <laughs> in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I've been like, oh, your name's Rhyme. This is amazing. You're probably a god. Right. And then they're like, buy my mixtape. Yeah, exactly. He, he's always selling this mixtape. But Leto makes it clear, the circumstances under which I became the god emperor are extremely unique. Not everyone right. can do it. Right. And in fact, he explains further. He's like, let me tell you exactly how I earned my godhood, right? Here's how I pulled it off. Here's a peek behind the curtain. Right. His ploy for godhood took nearly 300 years which yeah. alone clearly not something your average <laughs> human is capable of yeah that's a long time <laughs> so here's how the ploy went this is what leto explains to we in the beginning when he took control at the end of children of dune leto disrupted the fremen practice of recovering water from the dead and as we know water has deep deep significance to the fremen of the desert yeah and instead of recovering this water and returning it to the tribe, it's the water of the tribe, an old practice, long held, Leto instead forced them to consecrate it to an unnamed, quote unquote, supreme deity, to which he claimed he was a delegate, right? Classic right. prophet behavior. I can talk <laughs> to God. God is telling me to tell you. X, Y, Z. Yeah. It helped that he was a nine-year-old who could like throw 12-ton <laughs> doors. Right. And could run faster, you know, and leap dune to dune and like yes. seem to be made of their god worm. Like our dude had some currency in his little pocket Absolutely. for convincing people that he was not just a delusional child. Absolutely. I talked to God and they're like, okay, yeah, lift up right. a heavy door and prove it. Oh, oh he's doing it. <laughs> right, right. If you're going to claim to be a prophet, you got to pull off a miracle or two, you know, you yeah. got to do it. And so he, had he certainly had that going for him. Totally. Now, he tells us that later on, when Ganema finally passed, Leto tapped into his many lives as a ventriloquist, the trillions of ventriloquists <laughs> in his memory. Yeah. <laughs> and he had all of the voices of the past Atreides suddenly speak from his sister's urn. 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, speaking of miracles, if you're going to claim godhood, if you're going to claim being a prophet, you got to pull off miracles. He pulls this miracle off at his sister's funeral. And this is what he used to convince the Fremen and the larger empire that, psych, I'm not just the prophet of the supreme deity. I am the supreme deity. <laughs> yeah. But he couldn't just say that. If he just said that, pedestrian. Right. He needed to ventriloquist it to his sister's yeah. water urn. Hell yeah. Because then they're like, oh, from the water urn. That can't talk. Is his mouth moving a little bit? No, it's not. Don't look at his <laughs> no, mouth. No, no, no. It's the urn. It's, <laughs> so just imagine him like, again, he's just, it's actually him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's right. so funny to me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's funny to imagine. But of course, like Leto, I'm sure, pulled it off in the most mystical way possible. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. And thus he sold himself as the supreme deity. Yeah. It does seem notable to me that like all of this happened at the moment of her passing or like shortly after the moment of Ganema's passing. Yeah. We know how devastating a loss that was for him. And we'll talk more about Ganema at some point. But there's something kind of notable about her passing and him then kicking off this next phase of psych i'm the supreme deity right. look at me go and i'm going to take control right like was the moment of her passing the moment that he kind of rolled up his sleeves and said okay here's where the like dirty distasteful callous calculating work really begins mm. like kind of setting the stage lying a bit whatever but like this is the moment where i'm like no 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 i'm the supreme god of the last 300 years right and here Let's we go. Begin. Yeah, right. Leto's piece. Trolley now, problem. Here we go. I'm speeding up the train. <laughs> I'm speeding up the train. You're going to have to flip that switch sooner or later. Yeah. No, that, that's a really excellent point. Because I've always imagined like Ganema, his sister, is the thing. She's his heart, you know? She's yeah, the one that grounds totally. him to humanity, keeps him loyal, keeps him attached to his old life. Yeah. And for her to pass almost feels like a personal passing of his humanity or a breakage of the link and yeah. now he's like okay here we go golden path leto 2 god emperor fully unleashed baby there's nothing holding me back to my old life anymore so that's a really excellent point even in children of dune he talks about how she's the closest one to understand what he's feeling and going through and thinking right. and she's the one with whom he has the secret languages and she's the one she is i think to your point a grounding element absolutely so Losing that, it's like the beginning of his solitude as well. Right. So continuing with our breakdown here of the ideas of religion and religious engineering, Leto tells we, hey, babe, <laughs> I'm an open book. Ask me anything. I'll tell you anything you need to know. Anything you want. And he's like, okay, okay, cool. Uh, tell me more about this religion you keep talking about, your godhood yeah. that you keep talking about. Tell me the inner workings then. You know, right. show me what's behind the curtain. Stop just teasing me. <laughs> and he responds with a series of statements that sort of deserve its own fucking hour long podcast, honestly. But we're going to do our best to sort of break them down here, line by line. Now, Hui is a gold star student. Yeah. Because she hears all of that and she's like, all right, question. What do you see in your son? Oh. Which is a fucking fascinating question now leto tells her what he sees is quote a universe of many windows through which i may peer whatever the window frames that is what i see 
end quote. Wow. I appreciate that she didn't ask what his son is, like what his personal faith or what his personal, you know, if he has anything. She mm. mentions earlier, are you afraid of an actual supreme deity judging you? Right. And that's a fair question. <laughs> right. You've killed a trillion fucking people. You've killed so many people. Are you worried about being held accountable by some greater power? And I also thought that this was really interesting because he's not saying it's what I look at. It's what I see. It's what I choose to observe with my power. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I see windows through which I see many universes or a universe, whatever. Right. And it's whatever the window frames is what I see is not asserting agency. He is not claiming that he has the ability to move these frames. Right. Who built the windows? Who built the windows? The windows are there. The frames are there. He gets to see through them. But what windows there are, what frames there are, from the way he's wording it at least, sounds as though he's relatively powerless in his ability to see certain things. Yeah. And there was a, a much earlier quote with Moneo and Duncan talking about how chance and like infinity and Leto's God is probably something a lot more abstract and closer to like what infinity is. Mm -hmm. So in comparison to that, where he has said in this book so far, compared to infinity, I even am just a blip. Like my 3,500 year rule is nothing when you compare it to a million years, to a billion years, to a trillion years. Right. Something that really depressed Paul back in Messiah as well. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. This it's idea nihilism. of his prescient abilities opens up the timeless universe. Yeah. Something that normal humans don't experience, right? Like we only experience the present, the here and now. We can't experience every future and every past. Paul and Leto do experience that. They experience the infinite future but they experience it through windows, through glimpses, through visions. And I completely agree with you. I think Leto here is saying how I interpret and use those visions, how I look through those window frames. That's my control. That's the center of my religion. That's the sun that energizes everything around me, my godhood, my empire, everything. And getting like very philosophical about it that implies that even he is not all-knowing and all-seeing because he's only looking through windows and visions but he is not creating the windows and he is not able to interpret every vision presumably so it's interesting it's a very dense section of this conversation and it could be interpreted in many different ways but i agree with you entirely here that i think that is what we're meant to take away yeah and he even mentions in this conversation, the nature of the universe is a timeless one. And ideas of the future and the past is just like the idea of someone who doesn't have this ability. But once you have this ability, once you're living the way that he and Paul live, yeah. you see it all. And it's like, you're powerless, but you also are infinitely aware of your powerlessness and how minute you are and how little you matter in the grand scheme of infinity. Yeah, And how do you then stay positive and paul failed that mopey bastard <laughs> in messiah just like well what's the point of another meeting you know he's yeah. always gloomy i don't know it's just so interesting to me and 
in some ways, this feels like Leto is as helpless as his subjects. It feels as though this is like the ultimate confession, but it's also kind of just breezed past. Yeah. We's not like, fucking, excuse me, what? What was that? Say that again? Right. We just kind of move on. Right, right. And actually, so let's sort of zoom out. Let's zoom all the way sure. out. We've gotten really dense into religion and Leto's <laughs> yeah. godhood and religious engineering and how we should feel about that. How do we tie all of these ideas together? What is the point of this takeaway and what Leto is saying here and what Frank is trying to get across? I think in the end, we're meant to understand that even the god emperor is just a blip in infinity. Totally. And that all of his efforts of the last 3,500 years ultimately still can't control the chaos of pure chance. He is not a god in the sense that he can pull the strings of every single thing in the universe forever, right? He is here for 3,500 years, which on a scale of infinity is literally nothing. It's a blink of an eye. Yeah. And all he can do is swim in the currents of fate and chance. And the thing that sets him apart is the fact that he can see the currents and other people can't. Yeah. Finally, to continue wrapping these ideas up, I think to put a bow on it, ultimately, like we, we're supposed to be extremely turned off by this. We're supposed to look at the <laughs> religious engineering that the Bene Gesserit have been doing and what right. Leto has been up to for thousands of years and take away the lesson that this kind of tampering with religion and toying is ultimately destructive. Yeah. That ultimately being the sun at the center of a religion is death. Death for you, death for your followers. At least that's what I'm taking away here is that by the end of the chapter, we're supposed to side with we and be like, nobody should be doing this. And as we know, the reader knows, Leto is only doing this because he has to. This is the right. lesson he has to teach. And he hints at some of that to Hui as well in the chapter, right? She's right. like, why are you doing this? Why are you making these choices? And he's just like, because I have to. And there's a reason, yeah. and I'll explain it to you someday. It'll make more sense to you later. Yeah. Right. We also saw like Muad'Dib was the son of a fanatical religion and died multiple times over because of it. Right. He walked into the desert. He died. He came back as the preacher. But Muad'Dib was still an idea that then had to be killed. And then also the preacher died and that was death. And then also, you know, it's like just over and over and over again, it's death. It's death for Muad'Dib. It's death yep. for everybody close to Muad'Dib. Yes. And again, tying that back to our big themes, charismatic leaders are often the sons. They're often the energies. They're often the polarizing figures at the center of their own personal movements, whether religious or otherwise. And Frank is warning us against them. Yeah. Well, I'm tired. <laughs> I think this episode is nine hours long, according to how I feel after that conversation. Yeah. But we have one more takeaway. This one's going to be a lot faster. It is. And this is about Leto's price. Mm -hmm. Faster, but like way more horrifying. Jesus, Lord. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Hey, we got the second takeaway. Leto's price. The second shocking chunk of Leto's revelations to Hui is what we learn about his eventual death. And what he describes is horrific. It's literally like a Black Mirror episode. It's like a mm. Twilight Zone episode for an older generation. <laughs> it's like a Goosebumps episode for 
someone who for the lost generation in the middle (laughs) who the fuck are you goosebumps stands out there i don't know but that's a thing it's a courage the cowardly dog episode there's a weird generational reference but this is what he says quote a little pearl of my awareness will go with every sandworm and every sand trout knowing yet unable to move a single cell aware in an endless dream end quote oh my god and we and all of us i think (laughs) are like what the fuck that's awful (laughs) oh my god jesus and he confirms he's like that's what paul was afraid of that's what paul couldn't commit to yeah you know when we think back on the children of dune moment when they're on the sand they both recognize it's not just the physical it's the emotional it's the mental and honestly, here's how I truly feel about it. Yeah. I'm team Paul. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a rough Fuck episode. Fuck you, humanity. Though. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hang out with Chani until uh, <laughs> she dies, and then I'm going to yeah. wander to the desert and yeah. hopefully die there. I'm going to hang out with my hot babe of a wife until I die, oh, yeah. and then humanity, oh, yeah. you figure your own shit out. Yeah. Why is this totally. my problem? Fuck, I'm blind and a preacher now. Well, <laughs> not what I planned, but you know what? We're yeah, fine. Alas. But yes, ultimately, this is horrific. And Hui, the like compassionate, kind person that she is, immediately sets about like trying to figure out a solution, right? Yeah. Like, trying to figure out how do we make this a little easier? And she asks him like, hey, you've got that Ixian diary machine, right? The Dictatel that yeah. allows him to convert his thoughts into writing. So she's like, could that be like fucked with a bit? And could it be made to receive your thoughts from these disparate sand trout? And he basically says, no, that's impossible. It doesn't work. There will be billions of fragments and none of them will truly be him. He will be gone. The entity that is Leto will be gone. Yeah. And those remnants will be his awareness in this torturous, awful state but the entity of Leto is gone. And yeah, what a fucking revelation. Huge. That really hits hard. And this is also sandwiched within the fucking takeaway from earlier. They're like, engineering religion, engineering religion, engineering religion, my death, the most horrible Black Mirror episode you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Engineering religion, (laughs) engineering religion. Also, will you marry me? Bye. And she leaves. And it's like, (laughs) the fuck? Talk about whiplash. Yeah, no kidding, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, this is personally, I think, the worst part of Leto's sacrifice, right? We've talked a lot about what Leto is sacrificing to keep humanity on the golden path and to preserve humanity. This is where I tap out. (laughs) I may be on board for the rest of it up until now. This is where I'm like, actually, no thanks. And it really puts Paul's actions in the previous book in perspective as well his desperation in messiah his actions as the preacher and children of dune now we suddenly realize oh fuck this is what paul was afraid of what he was avoiding what he couldn't commit to and ultimately heartbreakingly the thing he watches his son commit to forever right imagine being a father and being like this is the path my son has chosen and it's the path that i couldn't choose myself Horrifying yeah. stuff. And I think at the end of the day, it actually increases my respect for Leto and the choices that he's made because 
the reality is, he's not only chosen to sacrifice any normal life he could have had with Huinori as a normal emperor human being, he has sacrificed his life, and now we learn he is also sacrificing his death. He doesn't get to die peacefully like a normal person and just disappear into oblivion or heaven or whatever you believe. He gets to split apart into a billion different little fragments of his being who are all sort of vaguely aware in this dreamlike state for the rest of forever, but don't have any autonomy and any power to do anything about it. Right. That's fucking horrifying. He's giving up his life. He's also giving up his death. And that truly is the ultimate sacrifice. And you got to put respect on Leto's name for that, at least. It's really beautifully said. Good Lord. <laughs> well done, dude. That's solid. I was just like, oh, yeah, Black Mirror. You're like, he gives up his life and he gives up his death. Like, Abu's out here spitting bars. Damn. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Beautifully said. And I think wraps up very nicely that last takeaway. So we are going to take one last quick break. Yes. And then we've got a couple of spice morsels for you. And of course, our housekeeping. So don't go anywhere. Right after this, we'll be back to talk about Takiya and Ketman. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tackle that one. Welcome back, folks. Mm. Let's wrap up this episode as we do by chomping down on some spice morsels. It's well past dinner time over here, and I'm definitely ready. Yeah, true. So morsel number one on our plate today is Takia and Ketman. From today's reading, we get this exchange between Leto and Huinori. Quote, Did Malky ever discuss with you my practice of Takia? She thought about this a moment. Then, it was called Ketman among the ancient Fremen. End quote. So, as always, we started smashing our keyboards, opening up <laughs> search engines, and digging through some yeah. research to figure out what Takia and Ketman were. And here's what we found. The word Takia is based on the Arabic words for prudence or concealment. And Ketman is the Persian word for a very similar concept. Now, what is that concept exactly? Well, according to Britannica, Takia is an Islamic term defined as the, quote, practice of concealing one's belief and foregoing ordinary religious duties when under threat of death or injury, end quote. Right, right. And again, Ketman is basically that same exact idea, but more specifically refers to concealment through the acts of silence and omission. Right. Now, when it comes to today's reading, and its use in Dune, when Hui Nori asks Leto why he'd bring up these ideas, he says, quote, to avoid other subjects, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious when you consider the definitions we just learned. <laughs> yeah. Because in that quote, Leto is referring to his practice of Takia, right? Did Malky ever right, tell you right. about my practice of Takia? Did he ever tell right. you I do this thing? I Takia all the time. <laughs> I'm Takiaing left and right. I might be takiing right as now, we speak. Maybe. Right. And here in the conversation, he's literally concealing his thoughts and omitting things. <laughs> yeah. By changing subjects with Huinori, yeah. right? She'll ask something and he changes the subject. And so this is honestly like such a classic Leto, like self-referential trolling moment. 
right? Like <laughs> yeah, slash TED yeah. Talk. Like he's like, Here, here's this very obscure thing. And I'm doing it, aren't I? <laughs> it's hilarious. He is literally yeah. concealing his beliefs by silence or omission, which is the very definition of Ketman and Takia, by changing the subject all the time. And clearly, <laughs> yeah. Malky recognized. He was like, are you Takiaing with me again, you motherfucker? <laughs> you, is this Ketman? You fucking Ketman, <laughs> sir? Yeah. So there you go. A bit of self-referential trolling from Leto in a way that only Leto 2 can do by referring to a vague Islamic term that Hui probably has no idea about. Indeed. Well, our second morsel today is Noah Arkwright. Oh, this is <laughs> so funny. This is great. So in today's reading, Leto confesses to Hui Nuri. He's like, yo, by the way, you know Noah Arkwright? The like famous author. Oh yeah, bestseller. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. New York Times bestseller for three thousand years running. Love him. Pseudonym. Oh. I wrote his books. Oh. With me. And she's like, "Oh shit! Oh no, kidding! I like read about his life." Leto's like, "Yo, second confession. I wrote the account of his oh, life." Oh my god! I'm also the biographer of him, so uh, well, you read, yeah, you know, well, a lot of me. A lot of me writing. For someone who doesn't have genitalia, the balls <laughs> on this man. Leto to Atreides. The audacity. The literal ones dissolved into <laughs> ganglia and the they became metaphorical. <laughs> He's got bigger <laughs> metaphorical balls. So out of curiosity, purely, I searched the Dune Encyclopedia for uh -huh. Noah Arkwright just to see, like, does he come up? Is he referenced? Mm. And sure enough... There is a moment when he's referenced as an authority on a subject. Incredible. Which is so funny to me because that is the author of that article deciding, I'm going to cite a source that is secretly Leto, but I don't know that. It's just so much fun. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of share this kind of hilarious tangle of lore stuff. Yeah. So in the entry on Thorses, we get this quote. Quote, some authorities, most notably Noah Arkwright, maintain that Leto himself was responsible for the introduction of the Thorse throughout the Imperium. Arkwright suggests, with some cogency, that the slowness of the Thorse, even the fastest beast, is capable of little better than 10 kilometers per hour, would make its use for transportation difficult, if not virtually impossible, and, as one unattributed cynic cited by Arkwright once remarked, a population which walks is easier to control. End quote. Wait a second. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so all of that's good and fine. It is very funny to think about Noah Arkwright maintaining something about Leto. It's like, yeah, I bet. He also maintained that Leto was weirdly handsome and like mm. very good at ventriloquism. Mm. We don't have a source on that, but that's what he wrote. Yeah. But also that last quote, right? A population which walks is easier to control. Yeah. It's pretty familiar. We should all know that one. We should. Because back in the chapter with Duncan and Siona in Goigoa, we get this quote. Quote, a population which walks is easier to control. Moneo's words rang in Idaho's memory. Hmm. End quote. So it is possible that Moneo simply read the book, read the like Noah Arkwright book and was like, fuck, that's a good line. 
that unsighted critic knows what he's talking about. That's pretty good. It's also possible, and I like this a lot. I don't, I don't know for this sure. This is my headcanon. This is mine. Yeah, for sure. Is that Moneo said that to Leto or just in general, and Leto heard it, and Moneo is that uncredited cynic. Hell yeah. I just got to say. It's got to be. It's got to It's got to be. The fact that it's like an uncredited, the fact that they made it so cheeky and made it so, yeah. it's just so perfect. And it's the sort of thing that the yeah. author of the Dune Encyclopedia. And literally about. word for word, the same exact quote. A population yeah. which walks is easier to control. Those are Moneo's words lifted from his lips. Moneo's words, not Moneo quoting that thing he read. It's Moneo's words. Also, yeah. we've met Moneo. He's like a thoughtful, articulate dude. The sort of guy to just say shit like that. You know? Yeah. I like to imagine that Leto at some point updated his works yeah. and released like a volume two of his Noah Arc Wright works <laughs> and yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to quote Monea. Or even just had like, where it's like, oh, a transcript of an unpublished book was found. Let's publish yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. And whatever foundation owns the IP rights of that author reaps the reward. But either way, we do have to wonder if the alternative explanation of Moneo read the Arkwright book, we have to wonder, did he know that Leto was the one that wrote that fucking book? Like his Lord Leto was the author. Or if he was like many others tricked by this long con of the God Emperor. We don't know. It's an interesting possibility. A question lost to history. We can only wonder. Or we can decide on personal headcanons and then completely forget about it forever. And then eight months from now, make the mistake of thinking, oh, yes, that's true. That and then is realize, the canon. Oh, damn. Wait, did I just make that up? Uh, fact checking. So important. Oh, so important. All right. Well, those are our morsels. Woo! Woo! All right. Dear listener, we have some homework for you. As always, for the next book club episode, make sure you've read chapters 27 and 28. Nice. Or if your copy of the book is different from ours, just read through the chapter that ends on the sentence. Quote, anything and anyone can fail, he said, but brave good friends help. End quote. What wow, the so fuck? wholesome. That's what the so fuck? wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> also watch me kill these people, I expect is the next sentence. That's right. crazy. Right. Anyway, before we let you go, <laughs> we've got some final housekeeping to take care of. Yes. Shout out Mapes has been waiting in the wings, looking anxious and <laughs> unsatisfied this whole time. So let's take care of our housekeeping. And the first thing, naturally, is the best way to support us. Yes. The best way to support what we do here. And the answer to that question, dear listener, consider becoming a patron if you haven't mm. already. That's right. Patreon.com slash Jabbar. You get ad-free episodes, you get bonus bloopers and clips and excerpts and things that don't make the final show. And of course, an invite to our exclusive Dune Discord server where we talk yeah. Dune stuff all the time. All the time. We had some amazing jokes made very recently by other listeners in the Discord server. Yeah. I'll have to make them on air at some point and claim credit for them. Hell uh, yeah. But until I do that, <laughs> the only place they are is in that Discord server. So if that sounds interesting to you, consider becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash Gamjabar, the way to help us out. 
best. That's way. right. Yeah. And another way to support the show is to get yourself some Dune themed merch mm. from our merch store at comjabarshop.com. Folks, we got everything under the sun on that website. Okay. <laughs> we got art, Trees. we got oh. apparel, mugs, a tote bag, mm. and so much more. I ordered a pint glass. I'm going to have one soon. Hell yeah. There you go. Gondrabarshop.com, folks. Get yourself something nice and help us keep this show going. Finally, we love to hear from you. So email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode had a lot of deep conversations about interpretation and opinions and what do we think and what all that. We want to hear what you think. If you had Hell different yeah. thoughts, if you agree with what we said, if you're like, that was awesome. If you were like, they have too much fun and make too many jokes, like one person reviewed our podcast recently. Let us know. Send us an email. Say hi. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the best place to reach us. That's right. And you know what? Actually, hmm. speaking of stars and reviews, yeah. six stars only, please. <laughs> six stars Figure only. out a way to give us six stars. Flex your muscles. All of them. Might work. I don't know. I've never succeeded. I'm not a baby gesture. <laughs> yeah. We need you to figure it out. That's the only way we're going to win this algorithm churn, this grind, right? Yeah. Is to be the only six-star podcast in the world. Yeah. Can you make us viral? How do you make us? <laughs> how do we be viral? Do, if you name a thing and it can guarantee virality, I will show feet. I will ventriloquism. I'll learn. I'll have all of the Wiggins, <laughs> the past Wiggins, <laughs> speak from an urn. <laughs> friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic so help spread the word of muadib and leave us a review on apple podcasts and spotify and be sure to check out the other shows on the lord party podcast network on lordparty.com you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party we are also on tiktok at gamjabar podcast Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.